OSBO Perspectives, the pulse of school business. In the official podcast of ASBO International. That's right. And I am Dr. Jack R. Mitchell, here along with the esteemed John Bricado. And so today's episode is coming from Massachusetts. Yeah. This is one of our rival states here <laughs> from Europe. <laughs> um, but we're up in New England and um, we have a really interesting perspective. I'll let John get into a little bit of it. Yeah, today we speak with Howie Barber. He's the Assistant Superintendent for Finance and Operations at the Old Rochester Regional School District, as Jack said, in Massachusetts. And we dive into zero-based budgeting because that's a practice that he's implemented in his district, something that didn't start out that way, but he's gotten the buy-in of his superintendent and his, his administrators and his building leaders. So it's an interesting conversation, something that, you know, personally, I don't really have much experience with, so I learned a lot from this. And, uh, you know, we, we give him a little hard time about the, the New England Patriots, too, at the end. So That's right. Great conversation. We had a really nice Full time. Bills. Yeah. So <laughs> enjoy you. our conversation with uh, Howie Barber. Today on the podcast, we have Howie Barber. Howie is the Assistant Superintendent of Finance and Operations at the Old Rochester Regional School District in Massachusetts. Howie, welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you. Howie. Great. Thank you so much, John and Jack. Appreciate it. Howie, it's good to have you on. I remember just meeting you for the first time in um, Portland, Oregon, uh, I want to say a month ago, but it was a little bit more than a month ago. Um, yeah. Remember, yeah. Um, and you right away, I could just tell the energy you had and exuberance um, in your voice. I mean, like, it just was a great, great feeling meeting you and having those initial conversations. We were at the Forecast 5 event as well. And then when you had your presentation with Cindy, that was really awesome. Uh, so um, we're really uber. When I say uber, that's my that's my word. We're <laughs> uberly excited that that you're on. So yeah, and um, even though we've only known you for a little over a month, it feels feels like we've known you for a while. Just yeah, we, we, we talked like a lot of the conversation. Yeah, it feels like yeah, you've been in Calliars for years, you know. <laughs> and uh, so this is really awesome. Um, so with that, as anyone else, our listeners need to know who you are. So if you if you don't mind, maybe you could tell about yourself, right? Uh, your background experience that you've been as SBL. Great. No, and first, I want to just thank the two of you. I think uh, similar to what you said, it's been a great opportunity over the past, give or take two or three months, uh, getting to meet the two of you and, and seeing a lot of things that you bring as well back. And uh, and it's really been a phenomenal opportunity to meeting uh, the two of you. Thank you. Uh, when, when it comes to myself, I, I guess the, uh, the starting blocks was, you know, I've been a CPA for about 25 years. And for the first 20 years, excuse me, the first 10 years, when you're only doing accounting, taxation, things like that. You're never thinking about what a school business official or administrators are. Uh, even when you're going through college, it's not one of those things that's posted there. Um, but about 10 years in, uh, there was a, a position where they needed an independent auditor to come in to do evaluations for the city of Springfield's public schools. And, and during that time, I had just about completed my project. And the chief financial officer at the district was who I was working pretty uh, heavily with during that, that project and that engagement. Uh, had asked me if I'd be interested in taking a position with the school department. And again, I wasn't really familiar with the process, wasn't really doing anything outside of just, hey, let me do some audit work, let me do some tax work, tax work for the program and see where it goes. But um, after a little bit of discussion back and forth, I uh, took that position, which, you know, it kind of set the stage of what the, the next 15 or so years were going to be. And uh, and having a chance, one, starting with the pretty much like the second, third largest um, school district in the state of Mass., kind of gave a lot of different perspectives of how things were going to be coming yeah. along and, and really what we're, going to be, we're looking sure. at. Yeah, exactly. And so over the past 15 years, I started in the big city. I went to a, a smaller city um, up in Greenfield and then uh, transitioned to what's called a regional school district uh, here in the state of Mass. And 
and I'm currently in Old Rochester Regional, as I was pointing out. Here it's a little different. It's a, uh, a, a superintendency union as a regional. So not only do I have one school district, I actually have four separate school districts that I, I oversee. And when you're going through that process, it's just like anything else when a normal district, except you do it four times, like four right. budgets. Wow, four that's a lot. Applications. Yeah, so it's a little redundancy, but it gives you an opportunity to kind of see how one thing is working. And when you're going to create the second one and the third one and the fourth one, uh, it gives you a little bit of over. Uh, laughing but on the other hand it gives you a chance to learn and react to what you've seen before so are all those budgets very similar in size and structure or are they all completely different uh they are actually uh there's pretty it's pretty different just because of the uh the communities as a whole um are not the same um like one is very agricultural uh so as we're going through and we're creating some of the uh platforms for how that district in rochester is uh is being built um whether it's the the straight staffing, whether it's the supplies and materials, whether it's looking at some of the goals of the uh, of the school committee as well as the the principal, who's very important with trying to control what we're trying to do to be able to bring some additional academic structure uh, to that school. Then, when you're looking at the other two elementary school districts, um, they're completely day and night. Um, they're much more focused on specific platforms of the the academics, not looking at agricultural as an example, but then um, really running themselves, uh, like I said, a, a completely different environment, if you want to call it that. And then for the high school, it's pretty much a 7th to 12th grade, and it's regional. So you're gathering all the students from those three elementary school districts. Once they hit sixth grade, they uh, they they merge as a district. As oh, well. So they kind of have like a feeder program where they all come to. That's exactly it. Yeah. Know? And I think the benefit over the past uh, three years, all the administrators here are all new. We all started at the same time. So we were really able to bring between the superintendent, myself, the assistant super curriculum, the director of student services. So we were able to really build things together to work, obviously, with the principals and through the principals to uh, establish a lot, a lot of new uh, platforms for us to continue to move forward on. And I think that's been really a fantastic opportunity because it really is, has aligned all of the schools as a whole to how we want them to feed the junior high and the high school. I think that collaboration's really uh, helped things that they've already been doing, but then again, approaching it a little bit differently. Yeah, that really interesting. And just so I can kind of conceptualize, like when you put all those budgets together, how much are you talking size wise of the budget? Uh, altogether, it's approximately just under $50 million. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, that, that sounds really interesting. And one of the more unique budgeting practices I've heard of kind of dealing with those individual budgets. And, you know, as far as we understand it, you kind of take a zero-based budgeting approach, which could you talk to us a little bit about that and why do you think it's so important? And, you know, could you give us some pros and cons versus maybe like a rollover budget uh, versus zero-based? Sure, absolutely. So I think when you're looking at a zero base, you're almost basically you're starting from scratch. You're looking at some of the key components that um, the district as a whole are trying to specifically meet. Um, I think when you're looking at like a level service budget, you know, you're taking pretty much everything you had in the previous year and you're just adding percentage to it and you're calling it a day and you're moving forward. Right. But you're really not taking a lot of uh, analytical review of where the fundings were, how they were being really truly used. And I think in some cases, um, it's a it's a disadvantage because you're almost not necessarily um, misutilizing funds, but you're obligating that in lines that you're really not going to be able to maximize. Whereas when you're using the zero base, you're again starting from scratch. You're really looking at each school. You're taking a lot of consideration into your enrollment. 
you're looking to see where you have um, a cluster of students that are just advancing each year and how that advancing is really changing maybe the, the staffing, which is really one of the biggest pieces of the schools, moving that to ensure that you have enough staff for those students as they roll up. And I think even when you're going through some of those baseline items like in, uh, the enrollment to staffing, it's also the materials and supplies and the really the uh, other than personal service costs that really come into the, uh, the equation as well. A couple of examples is when you're doing uh, previously rolling uh, a supply line that might be for the fine arts budget and you're just simply putting 3%, but there's newer goals as far as what that curriculum was going to look like because maybe there was some uh, deficiencies last year and maybe there's some things that just by having some maybe new staff to come in that replaces a retiree or just replaces some vacancies, now you're looking at it differently. And how can you know a newer initiative from uh, you know, a, a 2022 staff member might bring something different. So you need to really be able to make that accommodation in that, in that change. The other big piece that comes into play, though, is that especially now when you're looking at the current um, operations that we are using, you know, whether it's looking at facilities and operations. I know here we're looking at about a 16 percent increase or between a 14 and 16 percent increase on our utility costs. Yeah. So if we yeah. just simply took a percentage and rolled it up, we're going to have a a very understated uh, operational budget to be able to cover all of those, uh, you know, basically expenditures and projected costs. Just like the food service lines, you know, the the shortage of the the food and the supplies causes those fees to pretty much go pretty substantially higher. And so, again, if you're using that same methodology, you know, you're going to have some disadvantages. We just uh, over the past three school committees, we have our, our fourth one tonight. We're making recommendations for the the pricing uh, per meal so that it aligns so that that way we're not going to be hitting a major deficit on our food service revolving because then that's another situation. You're going to take that deficit and absorb that through your general operating and who's going to be budgeting for, uh, you know, a food service deficit. So how's your, how's your community reacting to that, you know, signaling that you're going to have to adjust? Um, I think that's one of the things that we've been able to really have some, uh, some, some clear discussions on it. Uh, each of the budget subcommittee meetings, they've they've heard exactly what some of these uh, nuances are that have kind of changed over the past few years. Um, even when you're looking at what again what the reference to a zero based budget is, is that when you have school committee members or even administrators that have used a past practice every year, and that's what was taking place here, it was just always these constant percentages, trying to have them interpret what this this change of a budget budget process is is what's different. Because you're trying to explain to them, well, this is, I know, what we've always done. But as we're looking forward to the, the newer initiatives, uh, the new programmatic changes that are going to really be a high level of, of transition to be able to pull back really what we've done in the past, but then really look to the future and trying to accommodate our students, which is the most important factor. I think that's where there was a little bit of delay um, in the, the initial stage versus where we've been able to uh, adjust over the past three years. So now, now, Howie, you know, I, I mean, the zero-based budgeting, uh, I think most of us, I could say that we we have some familiarity. We know what that is, but, um, and us never having utilized it, I mean, I think this is the reason why we have you on here, right? You really broke down some of the benefits, and I can see now, you know, when you talked about, you know, like as far as food service or as far as utilities, uh, the importance of building up and having, you know, things fit, right? So, um when did you discover, I guess, if you will, um, that this method 
um, versus other methods you may have used in the past, the, the ZBB, was actually something more suitable for you. And I, I'm and I'm really curious too. Um, is this something that's more popular in Massachusetts, or are you just more so aligned to it? Well, I think the the first question there is, uh, I think when you're looking at, say, for instance, the city of Springfield, you know, when you have 66 schools, when you have, you know, close to 30,000 students, and, and, you know, in my duration of time there, I had three chief financial officers. And so with that many schools, we were assigned a, a cluster of schools, like 20 schools, whether they're vocational, but bringing in different individuals over that term, we were able to really initiate modifications, you know, looking at the enrollment numbers, which was a key component that allowed for me to really get a, uh, a strong handle on how to uh, look to what the kiddos are looking like each year. And then looking at what we actually needed to, to, you know, accommodate middle school models or to accommodate uh, the overall operational costs of a vocational versus a regular ed high school. And, and all of these different things really allowed for us to kind of recreate that budgetary process that was kind of what started. Uh, and then as I continued to move through my opportunities, and because each district that I had gone to, my position had, uh, I guess you want to call it like changed and increased. So where I went from a senior financial analyst to a school business administrator in Springfield to the director of you know finance and operations in, in, in Greenfield, for instance, it allowed for me to be able to see some of those changes, especially as I continued to get much more into the weeds, had a lot more conversations with the directors. And I think that's one of the things that most school business officials really have to look for to see how that progression might work for them. Um, I think when when you're looking at some of those, again, when you're looking at some of those uh, transition platforms, you know, the very first year here, um, again, because of how the impressions were of what we were working on, you needed to be able to, you know, to get some buy-in. Um, and I think that's one of the key attributes for, I guess, teaching those administrators, uh, teaching the the principals, teaching the school committee members, and even teaching uh, some of the the towns and the uh, the city populated administrators as well, because as it goes through those those gamuts of approving from you know the the financial officer's budget proposal to the superintendent's budget proposal to the school committee's approved budget proposal down to where it's going to be up for vote, you need to make sure you're you're very clear on what that impression of how the fundings are being used and why. And so during that duration of time, when we transitioned all this, we had to really look at what the advantages were. And then we had to look at what the disadvantages were. And I know how John had asked about those. You know, you're really looking at everything. Um, you're looking at, you know, the, the annualized changes and you're making sure that they have a clear indicator as far as what those are. Um, you're trying to make sure that they understand what the transition plans would be based on those discretionary costs. Also, the, the staffing positions, especially because many of them start at one level. And so for us, we phased it in here at Old Rochester where I didn't touch their staffing the first year. I basically moved to all of the other than personal service costs that were our supplies, materials, et cetera, so that that way they could have an understanding of why we were making those changes. Especially when you look at personnel, it's hard to try to say I'm adding a position or I'm reducing a position because people have always had a clear understanding of who the population were and how they're being utilized, especially from past practice. Um, and I think when you're looking at those same, in the same fashion, some of those disadvantages of it is that, you know, you have to now spend a lot of time looking line by line. You know, you have to really do a lot of analytical review. You have to have a lot of discussions. You know, you have to request and receive details 
to support some of those requests now, because now you're asking the, the administrators, what do you really need? Um, right. And then what do you really want? Because, you know, that percentage increase doesn't doesn't cover that. So when you're going through that that platform of, you know, some open discussions on it and having a clear understanding of how that's going to benefit the schools, you also have to then be able to turn that around, you know, get the buy-in of the superintendent completely to know that as he and myself go to the school committee members and we're presenting these things, how that's really going to be taken and, and how they're going to recognize uh, what those goals are. So has, has your budgeting process, just in terms of timeline, has that, have you had to start earlier than maybe you did in the past just to accommodate for that extra time to be more analytical with what you're budgeting, what you're asking for from your building and district administrators? The first two years, it definitely was um, because we had to have a, a modified kickoff where during the summer, the administrators got together and I went through a whole presentation to them of what we're building, why we're building it, um, you know, what to look for, what to take as really some high level of, of justifications as to what they want to do. And then having a follow-up meeting with the school committee, subcommittees, and then meeting with them, doing almost the same fashion of what we're doing to kind of build. And then there was a lot of individual meetings with each in, each individual amend, um, administrator, whether it was a principal, whether it was a director like student services or the assistant superintendent of curriculum and making sure that we're kind of doing the same thing. So where they hadn't had that process in the past, it really did add quite a few meetings because we wanted to make sure that as we we're gathering and getting ready to present this, we could support all of those requests and then what it was really going to uh, boil down to in the end. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a really involved process. And you spoke to the buy-in piece a couple times. Can you maybe elaborate on that and tell us what it was like to not just kind of present this in theory to your superintendents and your your administrators, but how did it actually work in practice to get that buy-in from everyone? Yeah, how was it received? That, that's the key. Well, I, I think the very first thing, especially when you're dealing with the principals, and I always you know, use the term that I'm working for the principals because I need to be able to provide to them so that they can provide the platforms for the for the instruction through the staff and so forth. So I think at first, because many of the principals were here before I was, and so they were in a similar fashion, utilizing the, the prior superintendent to kind of give them the numbers and to tell them what their budgets were. So at first, they really didn't know how their budgets were really completely created. And I think having those explanations and then showing uh, some of the, uh, the structures that they currently had and then how we needed to go forward. I think that's one of the, the highest pieces of the, the whole buy-in, like we just <laughs> use that terminology because they previously didn't have those same roles. And I found- it, I'd assume too, like there's probably a higher level of ownership now because they've had to, for better or for worse, look at their budget as if it didn't even exist and really kind of analyze their staffing, programming materials, all of that. So I'm sure compared to what maybe they were doing in the past, they just know their own budget much better. They really do. And I think when you're looking at the supplies and the materials, uh, one of the things we do for that piece is we take the enrollment and their enrollment number dictates what they get for their operational supplies because it's a certain dollar value per student. So when they're going through and they're recognizing that this year I need new uh, textbooks relating to ELA, uh, last year, we needed the same uh, amount of uh, funding for their math and sciences. You know, they're really having to physically look at what do they want to do? What is their operational budget to be able to be used? And then how do they also maximize that? You know, do you want to just go to one vendor and just buy from one and not even consider 
you know, a procurement methodology where you want to really look at if you're getting the same editions of the same type of textbooks or eBooks, you know, uh, are you just grabbing it because it's the easiest way to purchase? Or do you want to get some additional quotes and see how you can maximize your funding? Because now when you're getting that dollar per student, there's not a lot of flexibility because just like where the, the principals are doing that and receiving that, so aren't the other directors and the other administrators. So there's not a lot of overlap. And in each of the, the departments as a whole, they have that flexibility. But then if they are, you know, amending and they're, you know, they're making budgetary transitions between the lines, they then have to use that to also think to the next year. How is that going to now change or, or modify the, the fiscal budget for the, for the following year? So that's a lot of the buy-in. Yeah, I, I, so I'm curious again uh, about um, the ZBB. Is there is there any special feature of zero-based budgeting um, that maybe we should be aware of? Or if not, you know, is there, I guess, any single piece of advice um, you, you could just tell our, our peers listening, you know, like what, you know, we know the benefits, right? But really why you should at the end of the day, the real why. Sure. Well, I think I think it's really important when you're going through uh, and approaching it with zero base to, you know, always review the the prior budget that has taken place. You know, what was the processes? You know, evaluate what are the standings of the current approved budget, and basically to uh, the process of the spending plans and the other district obligations. I think that if you're seeing many gaps from the budgets and the amounts that are either significantly excess of the actual expenses or or the encumbrances, and where those are really underspent, that zero-based method is really uh, at least realign the budget for the future methods to be used. I think when you're going through each of those uh, steps and measures, this is really to ensure that you have all the support and the verification of what is being included in your operational budget. And you know specifically when you're looking at that, those are the things, and I'll continue to always indicate, you know, between the administrators, the superintendent, and the sub the school committees, you know, if you can't provide a clear overview. Um, that's the most important thing that uh, that the fundings can be used to substantiate for the support of the academic achievement of the students. And so each of those steps really uh, allow for you, and the benefit of this is that you're really being able to um, analyze everything that's being used, and then you're having a clear understanding and a better understanding of what is being used in each of the other departments. You're getting a clear perspective of IEP, excuse me, uh, IEP plans and student costs for those levels of, you know, the students that have, you know, both the IEPs as well as the 504s, you know, you're looking at curriculum and you're identifying why there's certain pieces of, of materials, supplies, uh, professional development that's coming into place and how those teachers are learning these. All of these pieces are really a heavy part of that zero base because, you know, you as the financial officer as well is getting more involved and you're listening and you're learning and those pieces are what creates those bridges that you can then go across and really truly work better uh, as a district as a whole. Yeah, I mean it really sounds like an opportunity to have a much more in-depth view of your budget and to get more of your stakeholders involved in the budgeting process. And you know, as we have this conversation today, Howie, I'm thinking maybe this would be a great uh, presentation for Asbo International next year. I mean, zero-based budgeting, it, you know, Get, getting that word out there and, and you know, running so, a PowerPoint and some demos of how you do it. That, that, I think that would be really cool. No, I appreciate it. I think what you're saying is actually a, a good uh, a good platform for us, especially because each year we're, you know, we're creating new strategies for the 
you know, for our ACE and, and trying to make sure that the, the professional development is really hitting a lot of the new areas that can improve all the districts. I mean, and even when you go in, you, you listen to something, whether it is, you know, um, a level service budget or you're looking at the zero base, you can still learn other things. Right. It's not like you have to do this as a whole. You know, you can, like I had mentioned before, when I first took that first year, I didn't look at staffing because there wasn't a clear understanding. So we were able to phase in over really a two, three year plan, a full zero base. And so those types of um, attendance to these types of professional development helps you in other fashions as well. And it's well, not it, one full change. If you're going to be talking zero based budgeting in Maryland next year, I'll be in there in the front row, Howie. That, I think that would be good. A uh, good opportunity. Absolutely. We'll be yeah. to uh, write up the drafts so hey. and what the presentations are in the next month or so. So, right, we better get on it, my man. <laughs> hey, Howie. So I know you're in Massachusetts and we're in New York. So uh-huh. this might will be a little bit off the perspective podcast, but uh, ever since time has left town, so oh, ago, and now you got this quarterback controversy. Who are you going for, Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi? You know, I'm <laughs> um, just like with the uh, the administrators and the budget. Whatever is going to be best for all surrounding. <laughs> I love it. That's what I'm talking about. The this is why I get how it be on it. Oh. The state of Rhode Island, the state of Connecticut, you know, the state of you know the backside of New York. I mean, they all kind of uh, have merged into the mass over the t- over the past you know 23 years. Yeah. So, yeah. But, Good uh, stuff. And, and yeah. I will be uh, I will be uh, up in New York this uh, this weekend, but I won't be visiting for the Pats. I'll be actually watching Buffalo. So um, just to be a different a different atmosphere of what the uh, the program. Okay. Okay. So, well, yeah. I have to say, as, as a Buffalo, New York native, it is just it feels really good to smack the Patriots around a little bit this season <laughs> in last. So, um, you know, no offense to you and your patronage to the Patriots, but it you know everybody you know. Our, our time is due, I think. So, well, you know, all, all the uh, the practices that I'm in uh, Gillette Stadium and I'm practicing with all the players on a daily basis. I just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I watched, I, you know, my wife is a Patriots fan, so it's a little contentious with the Bills and Patriots in the same household. But I was watching the um, the the game last uh, on Sunday, and uh, yeah, to pull Mac Jones out and to put Zappy in that uh, that was tough. I'm sure. No, it, it really is. I mean, I kind of look at the fact that I'm a commissioner. I oversee about 3,000 uh, youth football players in, in Western Mass. Oh, and wow. When you, look at, and you, when you look at what you can use to build those young individuals between like the second grade, third grade, up to the eighth grade. And then even uh, a couple of years ago, I brought a whole team to Gillette Stadium, and they were actually on the field during the uh, during the opening sessions of the, uh, you know, basically of the National Anthem. You really get to see how those young kids kind of look through to a team and how they're almost like mentors, kind of like how we're kind of the mentors and, you know, the administrators are mentors of the students. Yeah. yeah. You really get to see how a lot of these things really do crosswalk between each other. And, uh, but again, you know, uh, I know that many of my uh, young individuals should hopefully be, uh, you know, pro players at some point in the next couple of years. But uh, yeah. as long as they're smiling and they're enjoying something, it's always a good thing. I think just like for us and, you know, the teams we follow, uh, as long as you have fun. You know, yeah, that's what's important. As long as you're enjoying the work and, and you're having a good time. Uh, well, that's stuff, Howie. You yeah. know, we're, we're really glad you came on. Uh, as you wrap up here, we appreciate everything, you know, that you've stated to us and, and your perspective, too, as a, a Patriot fan. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We do appreciate you guys taking the time and, uh, and obviously uh, inviting me to come out. Um, I think that these uh, certainly the, these, you know, uh, podcasts are a phenomenal uh, use for, for our time to just sit there and listen. I think that yeah. the things that we we hear that again we don't even think about because we're so busy with everything else and, and it does give us a clear perspective. It's just like a PD, 
you know, and you get to hear how other people are working and, and the questions you guys ask are phenomenal because I think it really gives us all, uh, you know, different input. On, really gives you that SBO perspective, you know. That's exactly it. <laughs> well, Howie, thank you so much for, for coming on. We really appreciate your time today. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you again for tuning in this week to SBO Perspectives. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Howie. I know we sure did. Uh, any chance that I can take to give somebody a hard time about the New England Patriots, I'm going to take it. So That's right. he's a good sport about it. <laughs> but more yeah, importantly, for so many years. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. But more importantly, you know, he gave us a lot of great information about the zero-based budgeting practices. Absolutely. And I hope that, you know, maybe we can see him in a formal keynote or, or a presentation in the future because I know I'll want to know and learn more about that. 100%. Um, Howie, as I mentioned, I'm really excited having him on. He's the penultimate SBL because he's, as you, as we, he said, he works his way ground up from one of the biggest districts out there in Massachusetts and different roles. And he was able to just, you know, really understand why it's better to do the zero-based budget. And I mean, I think he really conveyed that for all of us listening. Hopefully, you know, we get a little something out of it. So, yeah. Now, with that, SEO Perspectives bringing to you each and every week. Uh, continue to hit us up. We're on Twitter um, as well as LinkedIn. And feel free to hit us up um, in our inbox. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week.